0: The first four are about God. The last six are about us. What am I talking about? The Ten Commandments. And there's only one true God, and we are commanded to only worship Him. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, and we are discovering the Bible from Exodus chapter 20. We're going to teach on it in about three minutes' time. It's going to be very interesting as we study this. Corey and Reiner here, Corey.
1: Well, I'm going to be taking a look back at the very strange chapter of Exodus 4. Ryan?
2: Today, I want to introduce you to my good friend, Dr. Jim Mason, who's a trained nuclear physicist.
0: Yeah, Dr. Jim Mason is awesome. It's excellent. I was there for that interview. That was beautiful. Can't wait for that. Come up. Janice. Today, the Lord is God. All right, so take your Bible guide. If you don't have one, stay tuned. We'll tell you how to get one. And turn with us to today's passage as we begin to study Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20,
3: 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy 7th the day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Exodus chapter 20, verses one through 17.
0: You know, as we continue through the book of Exodus, it gets very interesting because Moses is explaining things as God has spoken to him. And there are really two places in the Bible where the Ten Commandments can be found. Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, the commandments have three applications. First of all, there's a direct moral application. Secondly, there is a ceremonial application. And then thirdly, there is a spiritual application. And we should listen and consider the Ten Commandments very carefully because they direct our paths in life. Now, the Ten Commandments have been very uh, controversial, especially in North America in the past 50 years. Many want them removed from sight. Some have even succeeded in creating legislation to take them down. But what did god command in the ten commandments that's a really good question isn't it that's what we're going to study today and look at today as we focus on this it's very very important as we look at the ten commandments take your bible guide and turn to the page where you can see it Um, and that is the bible guide will take you to the bible in exodus chapter 20 that we're going to study today And remember that if you don't have a Bible guide, you can get one. The Bible guides are right here and we print them all the time. Every single uh, month we print them. This is the January guide. It's very, very exciting. As we do this, it's all new material, all new material. Anyway, we we take the Bible guide and it takes us there. And if you don't have one, write us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com or BibleGuide.com and you can get your Bible guide. Let me thank you for your donations that you make as well. Very important. The most important book of all is the Bible. But as we focus on this, let's pray. Father, help us today as we understand and learn and begin to realize the need of your Ten Commandments. This we say in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen and amen. Now, we look at the first couple of verses here. This is very, very important as we focus on the first six verses. It says here, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. God did that. He wants to make sure that we understand that, that people of Israel knew that. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. That brings me to the first point. There is only one true God. Worship him alone. There is only one true God. Worship him alone. It's easy to disguise self-worship by behaving like the church culture. We are to worship God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength and mind, not worship ourselves. Now, this is important because so many people in today's world do that. So many people are hung up and tied into, well, I go to church to get something out of it. You know, well, hold on a minute. We go to church to learn from the scripture, but we go to church to also respect God. So we need to rethink, you know, we are not customers for the church. I remember that there are many people who see themselves as the pastor, as the ultimate salesperson. No, he is not. No, you are not. And neither were the priest. We go to the church to worship God. That is the first command in the 10 commandments. Worship only God. Very, very interesting. All right, let's go on to verse seven because it's fascinating. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath, the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger within who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. This is very important. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain and take one day in seven to rest and to honor God. Vanity is an earmark of speaking today. We all do it and we hear it. We must keep our mouth clear and our days right with God. Now, beloved, very important to realize this vanity is so easy to articulate in today's world. I mean, that's what we do. Everything is vanity, and we say we're great, and this, but but hold on a minute. We're not trying to hold back on self-esteem or any of that. What we're doing is what James told us to do, and that is worship Christ, bow down before Christ, and he will lift you up. So we need to understand that we need to worship Christ and make him good, and then our greatness or our goodness is from him. That's very, very important. Let's keep that in mind. Now let's go to the last verses because this is really something. Very quickly, it says, here's what it means. It says in verse 11 or verse 10 or 12, honor your father and your mother. Do it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Then he says, you shall not murder. Murder. You shall not commit adultery, sexual morality. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness or lie against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. 10 basic commandments. You see, God told us to treat each other well. Treating people well or treating people well is not how we feel, but how we live. I wanna tell you something. I am glad that I do not treat people how I feel because I can have bad feelings because of what I ate the night before. And that would be a problem. Beloved, we treat people how we want to be treated. And that is the essence of the golden rule in the New Testament. That's what God is saying. And so today we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us to think that through because our culture is so different. Everybody's out there saying, well, I do what I want to do when I want to do it, you know, free speech. Well, hold on a minute. Responsible speech is very important, but we need to pray and ask God to teach us his way and show us his path. Father, in Jesus name, teach us your way and show us your path. This is what we ask, and this is what we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, and every single person who agrees with me and understands the difficulty, prays together, amen. In other words, Lord, make it so.
2: Now, from a biblical perspective, why do you think God made humans and apes look similar?
4: Well the same thing, same reason I think that there are similarities right through all living things and that is we see a continuum if you like which speaks to us of one creator. If we're entirely different to every living, other living thing on earth, we had entirely different chemistry, entirely different everything, then we might think there's different creators.
2: Okay, so today I'm continuing to share with you clips from this new resource called a World by Design 3. And the World by Design series is an ongoing collection of interviews that I've been doing with some of the world's top scientists and researchers. And I've already shown you parts of my interviews with Dr. Rob Carter, Dr. Don Batten, Gary Bates, and Spike Passaris. But today I want to introduce you to another fantastic scientist and speaker, my friend, Dr. Jim Mason. And we've had a lot of great conversations off camera, but I was really glad to be able to record this conversation. Here's Dr. Mason. Well, I'm so happy to be sitting down with Dr. Jim Mason, a really funny guy. Jim, how are you doing today?
4: Excellent, it's been a while since we did
2: this. It has been, it's been a few years. Years, yes. (laughs) Well, for those of us, for those who haven't seen you before, I wonder if you could tell them a little bit about yourself, both uh, personally and professionally.
4: Okay, well, let's do that in reverse order professionally. Okay, okay? Um, I got a uh, BSc in engineering physics from Queens, and then I got a PhD in nuclear physics from McMaster. uh, And then basically, I went to work for a defense electronics company for 37 years, from which I retired in 2007. Um, Personally, uh, particularly with respect to the current topic, um, I grew up attending church. By the time I graduated high school, I'd never heard the gospel message actually uh, properly proclaimed. So I really didn't understand what Christianity was all about. So when I went away to Queens, uh, I made a conscious decision to be an atheist. I figured all of this stuff I was learning about the Big Bang and what I was reading about evolution must be the correct explanation because otherwise they wouldn't be saying it right at university. So I made a conscious decision to be an atheist and I stayed that way until I was hmm, probably in my early 30s. And then something happened in my life. I was married by this time and had a couple of children. And something happened uh, in our lives that prompted my wife to ask the question, if there is a really good God, why did this bad thing happen to this good person, right? Pretty significant question. So I said I would accompany her trying to find out the answer to that question. And in doing that, uh, we got connected with a minister and he gave us a lot of material to read, much of which was written by C.S. Lewis. So, we eventually had to confront the question was Jesus a madman, a con man, or uh, the God man? So, being an engineer, I decided I had to research that question and make a decision based on the evidence, which I did. And when you do that, like a lot of people have done, the evidence clearly says he was who he said he was. So, made a decision that he was who he said he was. And one would think this would be a good time to become a Christian, right? But I joined a church instead. <laughs> joined a church. <laughs> That we attended for another, no, decade or so, and again, never heard the gospel properly proclaimed. Then eventually, some friends of ours invited us to attend their church, which was a Bible believing, gospel preaching church. So I heard the gospel, eventually accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and uh, it transformed my life. Now, at the time, because of my background, uh, I still didn't appreciate the importance of viewing Genesis as real history and that didn't happen until about a decade later so now I'm 50 (laughs) and I attended on a whim um, a weekend seminar that was hosted by a couple of guys from ICR Institute of Creation Research and which it was like uh, an epiphany it was kind of like my eyes were open to the reality of biblical creationism and then I just got immersed in it Uh, eventually got connected to CMI and started speaking. That's when I realized that my education and career had actually been training to become a CMI speaker because I studied um, nuclear physics at university, never actually used it in my career until I started speaking on radiometric dating.
2: So Dr. Mason will be back tomorrow, but remember that these are just short clips of my full interviews with these guys. And if you want the interviews full and uncut, they are available on a World by Design 3. Also remember to check out Dr. Mason's work at creation.com.
0: You know, Dr. Mason is just an awesome guy. He really yeah, is. Yeah, he really, and, we had a uh, great time together. We could that. have spent a lot more time with him, but we, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can only spend three hours. <laughs> because, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like really? But uh, anyway, it's very, very good, very interesting. Okay. Corey.
1: All right. Exodus chapter four. Now that chapter is really full of interesting events and it's obvious that there's a bit of cultural information that we're missing that would really help clear things up. But overall, it's a really fun chapter to just sit with and pour over nonetheless. All right, so chapter four of Exodus begins with God giving signs to Moses that he can then show to the people so that they know God is the actual instigator of the Exodus and not Moses. And the signs that God gives Moses seem pointed and intentional. They are the staff turning into a snake, Moses' hand becoming leprous, and the water of the Nile River turning to blood. So it really doesn't seem like a coincidence that the pharaohs of Egypt were closely associated with snakes. In fact, they wore them on their crowns. They were called Uraeus. Now, this may show that God was in control of or had higher power than the pharaohs. And later in scripture, we know that leprosy was sometimes inflicted on people whose pride made them take on spiritual authority that was not theirs to take. Think Miriam in Numbers 12, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha in 2 Kings 5, and King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. So God was willing to deal with pride that led people to dishonor his holiness, which Pharaoh was doing by placing himself in the place of God over the Israelites. And finally, with the Nile River's water turning to blood, God was able to turn the prosperity and life of the Egyptians that came directly from the waters of the Nile into death, into blood. God would expose the prosperity of the Egyptians for what it was, built on the blood of the Israelites whose baby boys they had thrown into those very Nile waters. All right, so after the signs, the chapter goes on to Moses asking permission from his father-in-law to leave Midian, which he gets, and then he's called by God to leave for Egypt. The chapter ends with God attempting to put Moses to death, but being satisfied when Moses' wife circumcises their son and dabs his blood onto Moses. It's a strange one, but we can see right away that this section of scripture is clearly dealing with sin, guilt, and judgment. We have God promising judgment on Egypt for their guilt of Israel's blood and captivity, and then God confronting Moses for what was apparently also a crime deserving capital punishment. Now, this crime is most likely Moses' murder of an Egyptian because the chapter actually brings it up. God says to Moses in verse 19, "'Go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead.' And we know from Exodus chapter 2 that they were seeking Moses' life because Moses was guilty of murder. But just because the Egyptians couldn't apply justice to Moses doesn't mean that Moses was off the hook. He was still guilty of murder, a fact the Israelites knew about. And more importantly, Moses was guilty of murder before God, not just the courts of Egypt. So we see God seeking to put Moses to death. Moses needed to deal with his blood guilt. Now, opinions are split over why Zipporah's dabbing of their son's circumcision blood onto Moses would have satisfied the requirement of blood for blood. One side sees the reference to Moses asking his father-in-law's permission to leave as a hint. Moses was under the authority of this Midianite family. Perhaps they acted for Moses like a later city of refuge would work for Israelites. When there are questions surrounding a murder that showed it was accidental, the murderer could flee to and live in a city of refuge until the high priest died then the guilty party could go free. So in this theory, Zipporah's dabbing of their son's blood extends the protection of the family to Moses, their blood for his blood, the city of refuge concept has been fulfilled. But another theory points to the symbolism of the Passover that the blood of Moses's son symbolically stood in for Moses causing God's judgment to pass over Moses. Now, ultimately this may point to Christ, the son shedding his blood to save his family. Regardless, we know that God had to deal with Moses' guilt before he could deal with Egypt's guilt. And there's an interesting firstborn son theme going on here. God sets it up in verse 22. He says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Then Moses' firstborn son also has to deal with the sins of his father. Sons have to deal with the life circumstances that their fathers create for them. With that in mind, how amazing is it that we can switch our allegiances to God? He can become our heavenly father.
0: I think it's important because in today's world, the family is desecrated in many cases. And we come to Jesus Christ and he becomes our heavenly father. And that's a totally different definition than the fathers that we might see here. Absolutely. So that's very good, Corey. Excellent. Very good. Janice?
3: And God becoming our Heavenly Father, as you have said, Rod, the way we become the sons and daughters of God is to accept what His Son Jesus Christ did for us by giving Himself in death on the cross. The shedding of His blood bought our salvation, our redemption from sin. This is what the gospel message is, and it's so very important. And as I was looking at the Ten Commandments today, this chapter 20 of Exodus, right in the very first verse, it made me pause. And God spoke all these words, saying, and then He began to, to list the commandments. And I, I've written myself a note here. We need to remember that when we choose to follow the Lord Jesus, He is God. When He speaks, His words all count. His words matter. His words are truth. And when we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that we are going to try our very best to follow Him. And we cannot do that on our own. We need the, the strength and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. But that means that we have to live and humble ourselves before Him every day and ask Him for His help in our, in our lives. And this Word of God, this is why this program exists. Our family And the people that work alongside of us, our extended family here in in Canada and in the U.S., we have committed ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. We want to read every word. We want to go from the beginning, Genesis 1, all the way through to Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to go through even the difficult parts, even the parts where we have a hard time understanding. Because no one knows the Word perfectly, do we? because we're imperfect people. But when we make ourselves available, when we give our time, spending our time with God in His Word and in prayer, then we can learn what God has asked us to do, how we can follow Him. And yes, we will fail, but what a loving and merciful God it is that we serve because we can come to Him and ask Him for forgiveness and to ask Him to help us through His Word. We can not just read it, it's good to read it, but we need to get it into our hearts and into our minds so that when we face situations in life, and we all know that we do, we, we face difficult situations, things that we've never faced before, God can help us in those situations when we have his word hidden in our hearts. And so when we read and God spoke all these words saying and we go through these commandments and as we go through the scripture this year, let's keep our hearts and our minds open to what God is speaking to us because those are the words of truth. Right?
0: I think it's important. People said to me, uh, well, I'm not under the law anymore. I'm not under the law. But keep in mind that the only thing Jesus did was he fulfilled the law, which we could not. That's right. And we used to think about the law. The Jews used to think about the law as they have to do it because that's how they survive. But we went to Jesus Christ. So we come to Christ and now he's done it.
3: And we follow.
0: And we follow him. him. That's what a Christian is. Somebody who follows Jesus Christ. Very, very important. So, yes, we do. Rumble is a great social media network and we are on Rumble with our live streaming 24 seven and all of these programs go to rumble.com and look for Bible Discovery TV. Now let's pray together. Today we pray, Father, help me as I follow you and I learn to worship you alone, no other God. Teach me your way and show me your path. Help me today, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, Make it so, or amen.